Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are in our Reclaim series, and this one is called Sin Self Systems. Our question to start with today is, what is the one thing you most long for? Enjoy. We are in this Reclaim series as a community in the book of Luke because Luke takes us on a journey somewhere. It invites us into the life of Jesus on the road. So there's movement that is inherent. There is transformation. There's a process that we all participate with. And so one time we went through the book of Mark and it took us like 13 months. So we might be here till like 2021, but whatever. It's going to be a good time. As I've been thinking about Lent, there's this quote that I found by Teresa of Avila, everyone's favorite mystic of the, you know, Middle Ages. And it says this, we find God in ourselves and we find ourselves in God. And there's this reality that the thing that we most long for in all of our desires is somehow union and relationship to God. Even in our union and relationship to others, the thing that's beating within us the thing that is like pulsating right in the very universe is our desire to somehow be connected to the divine, to something beyond ourselves, to the creator, however you want to name it, great. But that's the thing that we long for and strive for as human beings. So we're going to talk about sin, everybody's favorite conversation today. Uh, But before we do that, we're going to talk about a few other things. We're going to talk about union. We're going to talk about sin. But if we're going to talk about sin in a healthy way, we're going to talk about self then we got to talk about some systems. Then we got to talk about me and you, but really we got to talk about we. Then if we're going to do that, we're going to talk about independence, codependence, and interdependence. And if you've been at New Abbey before, this is a really important phrase for us. We're going to talk about some cause and effect. There's some elephants in the room when we see Jesus telling some stories that we often miss because we're Americans and we're the most powerful people in the world. So we miss most of the Bible because the Bible is written by a marginalized group of people who had no power and they were declaring a different story about a different God. Just that kind of elephant in the room. No big deal. And then we're going to talk about the external to the internal, how paralysis is maybe a gift and then ashes, ashes, we all fall down. So follow along with me in Luke chapter 5. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. Uh, Some good conservative evangelicals and Catholics were in the room, my friends. And they had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. Too soon? No? Everyone's ready for that comment? Okay. And the power of the Lord is with Jesus to heal the sick. And some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. I don't think that's what he was there for. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow? I just love that phrase. Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? 
Who, like when you ever put those phrases together, who's this fellow who speaks blasphemy, good heretics here, um, who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Sidebar there, Jesus often refers to himself as the Son of Man, rarely refers to himself as the Son of God. The Son of God was not an ontological viewpoint of who Jesus was somehow in the Trinity. If you knew any of the words I just said there, good for you. If not, praise God. But really, the Son of God was this political statement that was often said about Jesus because Caesar was called the Son of God. So this other Son of God came along and says, I'm going to show you another empire, kingdom, and world that's very different from the ones you see in this world. But that's just a sidebar conversation and not what we're talking about today. Instead, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, the human one, is what Jesus is way more interested in. Not your spiritual being that floats away in an elevator one day, but how you live as human beings in the here and now, back to our show. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. And they were filled with awe and said, we have been seeing remarkable things today. So what we long for is union. And that's the thing that we're moving towards. And that's the positive side of the story. Again, sometimes when we tell gospel or good news or we talk about Jesus, we start with really bad news that you're horrible and that you're depraved and God has an ego and is really mad. And like I've said before, which is a very weird story, that if somehow this God created everything 13.8 billion years ago and it's just been moving outward at 70,000 kilometers an hour, and this God seemed like every supernova, black hole, sunset, baby be born and people fall in love, but then was bored in the last few thousand years? and just wanted to see if some people could do it or not, like live life in some way, that's an odd story of God. That's a story of a God who creates an arbitrary set of lists just to toy with humanity, and then we call this God torturer-in-chief, and somehow we're happy with that narrative. That's really weird. That's not Jesus' story. That's not traditionally the story of Christianity. That's a narrative that's come up a lot in the last 500 years, and more particularly in puritanical culture of Christianity in the United States over the last 200 years. Instead, we start where the Bible starts, which is with our deep desire to have union with God, and God's deep desire for supernovas and atoms and biology and all this other stuff so that we too could experience this generative love that is just beaming throughout the universe. Now that sounds a little more interesting. Yet, the Bible does talk about sin, but not sin in the arbitrary list sort of sin. Not God is toying with you sort of sin. Not God is just trying to see if teenagers can make it without being horny sort of sin, right? Because anyone was there, anyone there? That's the world I grew up in. It was like a torture test, right? Spoiler alert, teenagers apparently get horny. That's like a thing they do. Like bodies are like physiologically created to do stuff. And we're just like, torture test, put on the ring, sign the card. <laughs> I signed a lot of them. Um, I also failed, but that's a real thing. The real thing in it is it's not that God doesn't care about our relationship to the relationships we have in the world. God cares about that because God cares about the kind of union that we have with God and with one another. So it's not a torture test for teenagers or for us as human beings to see if we can make it or not. 
There's this reality with God to understand that there are brokenness that happens in the world at times when we abuse the power that we have. The definition of sin that we often use here from a great theologian, everybody's favorite, Cornelius Platinga, that's some reading for you, says this, that sin is simply defined as the palpable disruption of shalom. Sin is this thing that you can feel and touch and you know it and you can put your finger on it when you experience it and it messes up the wholeness and the harmony and the peace of the shalom in this world. And we've all experienced that. So instead of things like sexuality being some arbitrary list that God's really worried about what kind of skin touches what kind of skin, it's a list about the fact that sometimes even in something like sexuality, there's a lot of power that can be abused there. There's heterosexual monogamous relationships where people are abusing their power of sexuality in their marriage, and God is very aware of that kind of abuse of power and how that can be destructive to us. Pick a topic, pick greed, pick the way you eat, pick the things that you consume. All of these things can contribute to the palpable disruption of shalom. But they're not an arbitrary list of a God who's torture in chief just seeing if you can do it or not. There's a very big difference there. So whatever the thing is, there's a reality that we as human beings, as unique as we are, uniquely have sin and the disruption of shalom in us that interferes with our ability to have union with God and union with one another. And that thing is different for you and it's different for me. But instead, we've talked about sin as unmoving and absolute, and this God is perfect and has an ego, but that doesn't do much for us as human beings because we can't relate to that thing. And thus, God became human, something we could relate to, a human being who walked in the midst of the palpable disruptions of shalom in this world and began to challenge the arbitrary lists of sin, saying, oh, even the good places like the priests and the prophets and the not the prophets, the priests and the Pharisees and the church leaders, you're creating arbitrary lists of sin that are getting in the way of people truly experiencing union with God. So we're going to talk about sin. We've got to talk about self. And if we're going to talk about self, we also got to talk about systems. A little Venn diagram here. When it comes to self, if you're an American, if you grew up Protestant, really even if you grew up Catholic or Christian in the United States, you're really good at talking about the individual salvation project. That is what we have been brought up to believe, that what God is doing in the world is just all about you. Instead of the language of the Bible, which is, no, 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 God's not just interested in your individual salvation project. God is not just interested in the church. God is not just interested in Christianity, but there's books of the Bible like Colossians 1 that says, God came through Jesus to reconcile all of creation. That thing got a little bit bigger real fast. It doesn't mean that we can't focus on the self. We need to be aware of the palpable disruptions of shalom that are happening within each of us. We need to be aware of the power dynamics that are happening to us and out of us in the way that's affecting other relationships and other people. We say it in New Abbey all of the time, hurts people, hurts people. When you're hurting, you hurt other people. That's called sin. That's not like be guilt, feel guilty, have a lot of shame. That's have some self-awareness to the way that you've been burdened and hurt in the world so that you don't keep passing on the favor to other people. 
There's an awareness of, oh, look, it's not just the things that you've gone through. You participate in systems that have caused the hurt in you. You got to be aware of the fact, I have to be aware of the fact that I grew up in a family that was verbally and emotionally abusive to people. The language that we used in my home made me always feel like I was walking on eggshells, that at any moment something could blow up, people would start using drastic language with one another, and we would start punching each other emotionally. And it wasn't until I was married and had kids that I realized if this was physical abuse, everyone would say, stop walking into that home, people keep punching you. But because it was emotional abuse and verbal abuse, people were like, well, you should work it out, they're your parents. Just trying to get real with you. And it took me a long time to realize, oh, some of the ways that I specially hurt people is because of the ways that I was specially hurt by the systems that I was a part of. For some of you, it's not family, it's political systems, it's church systems, right? It's healthcare systems. We can get in, it's law enforcement systems, it's judicial systems, there's educational systems that have hurt you, that have kept you down, that have oppressed you, that have caused hurt within you, and that create hurt for the rest of the world. So we have to be very aware of the systems that are the, of the sin that's happening within self and the sin that's happening within systems, and that's a better definition of sin. That's where we find it doing something real in the world, and we move it away from an arbitrary list of a God who's apparently just bored. Instead, we move it towards a, a reality of a God who deeply cares about our union and recognizes that as human beings, the kind of freedom that we experience we also have the freedom to hurt people in some very real ways. And so God stands with us in that reality. So the self is the me. The systems in some ways are the you. But we always want to move towards is the we. And there's people who operate on both sides here. There's people who live with a lot of guilt and shame in the independent view of the universe. And it's really all about them and the choices they make. And they live with a lot of guilt because of the choices that they've made. There's also a lot of people who live on the you side of things, constantly playing the victim card. It's always somebody else. Somebody else did it to me. I'm never wrong. It's always something over there. We know both kinds of people. Both kinds of people I know are within me. But when we honestly talk about sin is when we talk about it as a corporate we. There's stuff that I have chosen. This is just my life, and it disrupts the world sometimes. There's things that other people have chosen for me, and it disrupts the world sometimes. But I am a product of both and we live in the world together. Sometimes what happens in this, though, is we either live out of too much independence, which is sometimes like where the conservative lives. It's all about your choice and what you're doing, and all that God cares about, again, is your individual salvation project. Sometimes we get into the liberal world where it's much more about codependence, but we're so good at talking about systems and questioning and critiquing, we don't actually take, a very good, take good care of the individual. But it's not about independence or codependence, it's about the reality of these things melding together and genuinely talking about interdependence in the world. Whether that interdependence is how we relate to God in union and in health and transformation and maturity, or how that interdependence affects the real palpable disruption of shalom in our lives. And that is made really clear in the story of Jesus and the paralytic. There's two stories that go around the story of the paralytic. One, if you were here last week, Brittany talked about uh, these lepers who were healed by Jesus. And after they're healed, Jesus says, I want you to go present yourselves to the priests. You see, there's this subversive text that's always taking place in the Gospels that we often miss, again, because we're the most powerful people in the world. 
So we often talk about the leper, and we often talk about the paralyzed person, and we often talk about who Jesus is, but we miss the fact of the other people that were in the room. We miss the fact of the systems that are creating the environments in the room. And we need to know about that as well. So what Jesus is saying to the leper who gets healed is he says, right after he gets healed, go show yourself to the priest now. Go show yourself to the system that has prevented you from having real union with God. They say that you have a contagion that will affect everyone else. But in reality, it's the system that they've created which has prevented you from having true access and relationship to God. So Jesus breaks that, not by telling you, but by showing you with the actions of sending a leper into the very place in which he has no business going, because that's how God works. He's a disruptor. I just said he, and I apologize for that. God is a disruptor of these systems. Then we move into the story of the paralytic, and it says that there's Pharisees and teachers of the law there. There's the people who know the Bible really well, the people who assume that they have all of the answers and yet they miss the point of what's actually going on. They're having conversations that don't actually matter. They're talking about all of this theology and they're trying to test people on their Awana's trivia, but that's not the point. What they're trying, that's not the point of Jesus. Jesus is not here to quiz you at the end of the day about how much Bible you know. Jesus is here to say, what kind of life were you living that allowed other people to flourish in this union with God and with one another? That's way more interesting. And if you want to do that, then you too will have to disrupt the stuff that's going on inside of you, call it out so that you move from being a hurt person who hurts people to being a transformed person that transforms people. And I'm also going to send you in to some messed up systems because the world needs some fixing, my friends. And Jesus is fired up about that. And then there's a story after the paralytic where Jesus calls this tax collector Levi. And in this story, it's one of those stories, again, where Jesus was in the wrong place at the wrong time, talking to the wrong people, eating at the wrong table. Because that's what Jesus did. Every time the conservative religious people of Jesus' day tried making it about an arbitrary external list just to see if you can somehow do it or not, Jesus would break that by hanging out with the one person who doesn't fulfill that list. And then God would say, you want to know where God's moving in the world? Over here, outside of the circles that you've drawn. And that's important for how we understand the life of Jesus. So this subversive text is letting us know that God's working in different ways than we understand. So those are the stories that surround the paralytic. And then now we have this broader story that we can come to and see what Jesus is really doing here with this paralyzed man. For me, there's a gift in the paralysis story. There's a gift because this man, like most of us, or at least I should say myself, lived in a world where it was all about cause and effect with about how you deal with God. I don't know if you've lived there, but I live that way. I remember, since I've already been joking about my teenage whatever I was doing, I remember getting acne as a 15-year-old and crying in my room because I thought God was punishing me for fooling around with girls. Right? Like, where did a 15-year-old get that kind of idea? And yet I know that's not isolated to me. I talk to so many people who have these crazy cause and effect stories that thinks that the God of the universe who creates supernovas is punishing you because of some choices that you've made. Or we want to live on the other side of things that God's just blessing you because of the choices that you're made. And yet we read in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus says, here's the deal, people. It rains and the sun shines on both the good and the bad. That's just what it means to be human. 
So stop reading the tea leaves and stop living in this world of cause and effect because sometimes it's really going to work out for you and other times you're going to live with some weird guilt and shame. Instead, own the fact of your true identity that you're all sons and daughters, that you're all beloved by God, that God actually enjoys you. Live out of that reality. And that's what God is way more interested in than the arbitrary lists. But what God wants to do with that is that if you can recognize that you're a son and daughter, then you can begin to own the real places that have caused hurt within you and the real hurt that you might be causing in the world. And now the world's going to look a little bit different. So you have this paralytic who lives in a world of cause and effect. Everyone around him would have said he must have done something wrong or his parents must have done something wrong for him to be paralyzed. Now, how often have we done that in the world? That people with power tell people who don't have power, oh, it must be something that you're doing. It could never be me, right? It must be those Muslims over there, those Mexicans on the other side of the wall, those gay people, this whatever. I've never heard anyone talk like that, including presidents. But I'm just saying that when people have the inability to take ownership, they hurt other people. And this is a story about changing our views of and perspective of the world and taking ownership of where we're at. So when Jesus tells this paralyzed man who wasn't coming for his sins to be forgiven, but was coming for some real healing, right, physical healing, Jesus tells him to get to the thing behind the thing. I might give you legs to walk, but you're still going to deal with all of this. So let me address the internal stuff that's within you so that when the external changes, you can deal with that reality in a different way. Because bad religion always focuses on the external. Bad religion is always making hypothetical lists for what's happening in the external world. Good religion, the best of Christianity, the best of what we always see in Jesus, is Jesus is constantly talking about what's happening inside. The Pharisees will come to Jesus and say, where is this external kingdom you've been talking about? And Jesus says, would you have eyes to see that this kingdom is happening within you? When these kingdoms change, these kingdoms change, right? That's where the Bible is always moving. Thus, even the temple has to be destroyed. Jesus is saying, stop looking to God out here. It's when God is really transforming and moving here that you'll all become temples of this divine. Now we're operating in the world in a whole new way. I don't know what just fell, but we'll just take this out here. It's going to bleed all over my butt. Okay, great. I completely forgot what I was talking about after that. <laughs> Simples, can you put the thing back up? I'll remember now. That one slide? Yeah. I was like literally so, like you like pause in your moment, like this thing is gonna like bleed out all into my pants. And I'm one of those cheap people who owns like two pairs of pants, so I cannot lose these. Like this is every two years I make a new purchase like that. So there's the gift of paralysis, which is incredibly important for us because this man knows that he's paralyzed. What if we all could show our paralysis to the world? I think we would live in a very different way. Uh, on Ash Wednesday a few weeks ago, uh, we spent time in this garden, and some of you came and you received ashes, and it's this reminder that you are dust, and to dust you'll re return. It's this reminder of your finitude. It's this reminder of your frailty. But also ashes are this reminder of I'm broken, I'm hurt, I don't have it all figured out. The paralyzed man gets the... Benefit of the doubt, right? Everyone can see him say, the dude's paralyzed. What if we could all wear it clearly on our faces, the ways that we're broken and paralyzed by our own stuff and by the systems of the world? How would we see each other then? 
Because that's how Jesus goes around seeing people. He honestly sees the oppression and the hurt they're dealing with so that he can best remind them of their true identity. What if we lived in such a way where our real stuff got to be on display and we could be honest about it, not worrying about what the priests will say, not worrying about what the conservative Pharisees will say, but could honestly tell one another, me too. I'm hurt too. I don't have it figured out too. And I think that's where Jesus begins to give us freedom and say, if I can heal the paralysis inside of you, then I can heal the paralysis outside of you as well. As Brene Brown often says so well, your healing is directly dependent upon my healing and my healing is directly dependent upon yours. And so the story of a corporate sin and system of we in this story moves to a corporate union of we with God and with others. And so the story beautifully has this reality where a bunch of people carry the paralyzed man in to see Jesus. And that's a beautiful moment for us. How do we carry one another's ashes? How do we carry one another's hurts and reality and sin of self and systems with one another? Because when we can honestly begin to do that, when we can show who we really are, when we can truly be loved despite the arbitrary list that has so burdened and oppressed us, then I think that we live in a different kind of freedom and a different kind of union. And God leads us there through Jesus, but we also have to take one another's hands and carry each other's mats and bear our ashes all the time and live with each other there as well. And we want to close with this question. Where are you currently experiencing paralysis? Is it with yourself or with systems? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.